Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. What a delight it is to be with you today as we dissect with an accomplished financial expert the often overlooked but most important steps to financial independence, that being wealth creation for the long haul. Arye Scheinbein's Bread and Butter is helping successful business owners and entrepreneurs invest their money intelligently, allowing their wealth to accumulate so they can stay focused on what truly matters, their business and mission. He spent his entire career sharpening his operational expertise with investments and valuing businesses, having worked with top private equity, venture capital, hedge funds, investment managers, and bankers. Arye, before we get into the details of wealth creation for the long haul, share a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. Wow. So I, I think there's probably a number of experiences that shaped who I am today. I think an interesting one that is not actually using any of like my mentors or my parents or anything of that nature, but I'm going to go down a little bit of a different path. And that is my freshman year in college, I had thought I was going to go into law. I assumed, okay, I'm going pre-law. And I read a fiction book, which I really don't read too many fiction books, but I read a fiction book by an author, Jeffrey Archer, by the name, and the name of the book was Cain and Abel. And the book is really about basically two individuals who come from nothing and ultimately rise up to have tremendous success, and one in the stock market and one more in real estate. While I knew the story to be fictional, what I was finding already freshman year was that a lawyer was probably not what I really wanted to do in the sense that there's just like a lot of documents, a lot of reading, and I have nothing against reading, but it was just... There's a process, right? You're 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 finding all these documents, 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 as opposed to what you see on TV and the movies and all these things of what a lawyer is, right? And I even had a professor who had gone to Columbia Law School and told me, like, you know, all the reasons why I wasn't going to be happy as a lawyer. And this book really opened my eyes to like, hey, anyone can be successful with stocks and business. Even though I know it was a fictional book, I had seen it with in my backstory, you know, just dealing with baseball cards when I was a kid, and that became my stock market. And then in high school, these stock market challenges I was a part of. And so the book just like reinforced everything to me that like, hey, anyone can do this. Anyone can become wealthy, whether it's actively or passively. And it totally redirected my trajectory of, of where I was going to go with my career and, and moved me totally into finance. Well, that is interesting. You said you don't read a whole lot of uh, fiction, but you were drawn to this book, Cain and Abel. That really is not a very compelling title. So what drew you to that particular book? It wasn't even anything that like in particular, the, the, the title's correct. The title is totally misleading, right? Like from the biblical sense, it has nothing to do with that storyline and nobody kills each other and they're not actually brothers, but, and there are sequels to this book and their kids, I think end up getting married, spoiler alert, but this book is, you know, whatever, <laughs> 20, 30 years old, whatever. So I'm sure if, if you've heard of it, you've read it. 
but I read a lot of, of nonfiction and business and self-development and things like that. So I don't even remember what triggered it. Either my roommate had it and said it was a good book or something. It wasn't like I even went out and bought the book. I like literally, I think I found it in the dorm and I decided to like just pick it up and start reading. And it was actually, it's, it's, a, it's an engaging and I don't remember if it was a quick read, but I enjoyed it. So it was unique in the sense that like I have many positive experiences, many people who've kind of shaped who I am today. But this book really, I think from a career standpoint, really redirected some of my thought process just on, hey, I know it's fictional and this guy made it in, in stocks, but anyone could kind of do it. And and I, I, I still believe that anyway. And then I went on to read a lot more practical books that actually I would recommend to people probably well before reading this book. <laughs> Well, that is interesting. Like you had said, you'd had some experience with, I guess, was it a stock market club in high school or or what was your involvement there? It was kind of like a six-month period where you pick stocks and it's like a, a portfolio you know, return kind of thing in high school. And I think it was nationwide and you know, you kind of are picking against other people. And I'm gonna date myself a little bit here, but this was, you know, pre like having the internet in, in your phone and, and you know, having all these stock trading apps that you know people have today. Were you using real money or was it was it play money? No, it was play money. It was play money, yeah. Well that could be a very educational experience though anyway. So how can I make the most of my money if I can't allocate loads of my time towards investing? I think depending on who you are and what you're doing with your the rest of your time, right? Like it'll different things will speak to different people. And I tell everybody that personal finance has the word personal in it because it's it's very personal. What what may fit you may not fit me from a both a risk profile. I may be willing to take more risk than you or vice versa. And at the same time, certain things interest people, even if it's not about time, but I have an interest in learning about these things or I have an interest in studying these things versus some people like, no, I don't really know nor care about this. I just want it to do the thing, right? I want it to grow. And I would say like, it's what's interesting is, is one of the first books that I would tell people, like a very basic book, it's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Again, super old book, but the principles hold true today. And it's, and it's a quick read. It's written in story form, it's parables. But that book really kind of has you thinking about the money needs to work, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're little worker bees, your money, and you send them off to go recruit other worker bees for you effectively. And so if you're like, hey, I'm doing my job, I'm my professional, I have my business. I think in general, if you look at people who are super, super, super wealthy, right? Take the Jeff Bezos, even, even the Warren Buffetts, they have taken fairly concentrated risk with their capital, right? They've bet on the one thing. And a lot of times they've bet on the one thing and it didn't work. And they bet on another thing and it didn't work. And then finally they bet on the thing that that it did work. But if you take a step back for the average person who is looking to have more passive wealth growing, diversification is something that just resonates with most people, but it also proves true to have both from a cyclical and different cycles of where the investment world goes, but it also allows you to counterbalance some risks that you want to take in a more aggressive way and have other things be more, let's call it stable. So whether you're looking at real estate, whether you're looking at investing in things like straight up the S&P 500 index, or making a basket of portfolio of you know dividend aristocrats, which are really companies, stocks that you know, pay dividends and have historically not only have historically paid dividends over, let's say, the last 25 years, but have historically grown the dividends that they're paying. And you use those dividends to reinvest in buying more shares, 
which ultimately will yield you more dividends. And you can then either live off of the cash flow eventually, or you know, kind of continue to take the appreciation and then wind down that portfolio over time. But I think if if you're like, hey, I have my job and I'm putting this money to work, no matter what it is, it's beating sitting in in the bank account, right? Like in today's market, like we're we're kidding ourselves in the sense of like what the banks will pay you in an interest rate or lack thereof relative to the inflationary rate that we're dealing with in today's environment in 2021 there are a lot a number of ways that you can can invest and passively in real estate is definitely an attractive one specifically like hey you don't have to kind of go and get into single family homes you can you know if you have enough capital you can be part of syndications if you don't you can build your capital through things like REITs which are also publicly traded stocks but they're throwing off the yield again cuz they're real estate holdings that that they invest in you also have in today's world you have things that most people i would say the average person doesn't even realize or know about but everybody's heard about bitcoin now and everybody's heard about ethereum but in the crypto space there are things called stable coins and what stable coins are are they're generally t- pegged to some fiat currency, a fiat currency being like a US dollar, right? So you have stable coins like a USDC, a USDT, which is known as Tether, GUSD, which is Gemini's. A lot of these coins, they don't move, they don't fluctuate. So when you, you know, if you're not knowledgeable and you're like, oh my God, Bitcoin is up 40%, down 40%, that's, that's not what I want. I don't want that volatility. You can go on some of these apps and buy stable coins. So it's a dollar for dollars. Most of these things have no transaction fees because literally you're just swapping basically a fiat dollar from a bank into this digital currency, right? And there are a lot of platforms that will pay you 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12%. The markets come down. I'd say the you know the averages are in the eight to nine percent range now, for keeping your coin, keeping your cash in this digital currency, in this stable coin. And people are like, well, how can I get it? How quickly can I move it out? And it's instantaneous, right? So if you ACH to these platforms, you can actually park the money there, and you you'll receive usually accrued daily, paid either weekly or monthly. But you can sell out instantaneously should you want and transfer it right back to your bank account. So from a risk perspective, I would never tell someone something's riskless because it has risk. Everything has risk. But from a risk reward perspective, being able to pick up 8% on a pretty benign asset class that has very limited risk, that is a very attractive type of passive income. Now, you know, real estate is another one where you're like, hey, I can get seven, eight, nine, 10, 11% cash on cash returns from a cash flow perspective. And then you hopefully get a, a lift. Well, you know, I would call it, mm-hmm. you know, an exit on the exit multiple, right? On disposition of the asset, you should hopefully get an, an increased value or a, at a minimum, some increase in the value there. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. But what do you mean when you say we should be striving to be product agnostic? So I, I think one of the issues with the financial space in general 
is that unfortunately, most people who are, let's call it dispensing advice or working in the advisory realm, they're driven by the product that they sell. Right. So if I am talking to a life insurance person, they're incentivized. The only way they're going to make money and, and get paid for their time is typically is if, if I transact with them. So if I buy a policy, whether it's a term policy, a whole life policy, a variable policy, whatever it may be. So really the question becomes like, are they giving me the best advice? Are they telling me what is actually in my best interest? Or are they telling me what's in their best interest? Because that's how they're going to get paid. And a lot of you know people who say, oh, you know, I deal with my cousin, I deal with my this, I deal with my that. If they're not an insurance broker, but rather they are, let's call them a wealth advisor, they may be working for the Edward Jones or the Merrill Lynch's of the world, where again, the only way they're getting paid typically is either commissions or assets under management, percentage of AUM. And so they're incentivized to take the money from you and put it into their management, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. But understanding that fee structure, whether it's you know 50 basis points, 85 basis points, one uh, you know 100 basis points, so i.e. one percent or one and a quarter percent, whatever that that fund that fee structure looks like, that's what you're paying them for their time and their expertise. Which again, it's deserved. But if we think about this holistically, that person can't offer you any advice around real estate or can offer you advice around insurance because most of the time those products are separate. Now, some places have both insurance licensing and the securities licensing. But if, if we really scrutinize the financial security you know, space and the financial advisory space, it's very product driven. So these being products, right? Mutual fund being a product, life insurance being a product, whatever it may be being a product. And so the problem really is, is that no one is getting this unbiased product agnostic, you know, advice and view. And a lot of people until they find out that there is even another product, they had no idea that that was something they should look at or consider or what have you. So my view is like, Hey, if you can get educated or find someone who can educate you and advise you from the standpoint of product agnostic and meaning they're not being paid to get you into product A versus product B, you'll probably have to pay them something. But again, it becomes now completely unbiased because you've paid them and now their job is to look out for your best interest regardless of what that product may look like. Well, that is so true. I mean, until today, I'd never heard of a stable coin. That's a whole new, new product uh, to me. And yeah, that is so true. Advisors, by and large, are not working for you, the client they're working for, whatever organization it is that they're working for, essentially. Well, does contributing to a 401k, does it really make sense in today's markets and employment situations? So 401ks, like if we go back in history, right, where did they come from? Well, originally, companies had things called pension funds, right? Mm -hmm. So they were managed by the company. The company would say, okay, you are earning X dollars a year. And we will eventually, when you put in, call it 25 years into the company or whatever it is, or the government or whatever it is you're working for, at the end of that time, we will pay you that salary or some average of four salaries or some 80% of your salary, whatever it is, into you know perpetuity until you die, right? Like basically un until death. And, and there were ways to manage that and what have you. And I think a number of things happened. Number one is this became like a big burden for the companies. 
Because now, in addition to operating a business, whatever their business was, whether their business was you know telecommunications, whether they're you know, they were a trucking company or whether they were a software company, they now also had to manage this fund of the liability, the future liability of all their employees. And so they needed to put aside money for this every year. And then they also had to generate returns. So they become like an investment manager for their employees over time. And you know, I don't know when this pivoted, 70s, 80s, whatever it was, but this was really the birth of the mutual fund industry. The it gave, it got juice out of out of the 401k industry. So they moved this to a a plan where they said, okay, how about the employee can take this money on a pre-tax basis? That was the original assumption of a normal traditional 401k is a pre-tax basis. They won't pay taxes today, and they'll put it into this vehicle, and then eventually they could take it out, and they'll pay taxes on the growth. In the future, and so it will compound, you know, tax deferred. And then came the Roth, right? So the Roth said, "Hey, put the money in, pay the taxes today, and you'll never pay taxes on the growth in the future." Now, given what's going on today in the tax environment, we don't know if some of these rules are going to end up ultimately changing on us. But the idea that you are an employee and you put in money into a tax deferred or a you know tax growth is exempt vehicle, it has a lot of benefits. There's no question about it. But there's also a lot of things that you need to like think about from the standpoint of like, what does this mean for me? So for example, for whatever reason, the rules that were set up were that you can't touch this money till you're 59 and a half. Well, okay, historical United States that made sense, this retirement concept. But there's now people who are like, hey, I want to stop working at 45. Well, anything in 401k, that's not helpful to you because you can't touch it for another 14 and a half years. So if you're an employee and you have a 401k, it does allow you to put more money in than a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. So those have caps of somewhere of like the $6,000 a year, whereas the, uh, the 401ks have like a $19,500 a year cap. So it does allow you to put more capital in and shelter it from you know either current taxes or pay the taxes now and future growth won't be taxed. But at the same time, the first question that I would ask yourself is, does my employer offer me a match of any sort? So some employers do, some don't. They're all over the place. You know, you contribute 6%, they'll give you 3% against your six. So basically a 50% return. That's free money, right? That's a free return. And then some of them come with restrictions that it takes time, what we call it the vest, that you don't get the money until you know, you've been there for one, two, three, four, five years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, after you take that match, you need to be thinking about how you feel about the investment options that are in the plan, right? So the way these plans work is the employer is the one who chooses what's inside this vehicle. There may be one fund, there may be a hundred funds. But if you put it in your own vehicle, i.e. something like a a traditional IRA or a a Roth IRA or a taxable account, the the options become much more flexible. Now, if you leave your current employment and you want to convert this 401k into a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, you can do that and have tremendous flexibility. And you can even have things like a solo 401k, right? Like if you're self-employed and 
and self-administered, meaning standard 401ks and IRAs are traditionally at more of the brokerage firms, meaning they have stocks, they have bonds, they have mutual funds, they have ETFs, they have all these things, but they don't have real estate, right? Like you can't buy real estate. And now we're starting to see apps that have crypto in, you know, 401ks and, and IRAs. But, you know, a few years ago, that didn't even exist, probably even like six months ago. So understanding the flexibility of the vehicle that you actually have, understand the investment options. And just because your employer is offering you these options doesn't necessarily make them amazing options. Um, doesn't make them bad. But again, it's a little bit of requiring education and a little bit of understanding what you can and can't do with these things. Well, Aryeh, how can we get in touch with you? Sure. So people can find me on Solution Advisory is my website. They can follow me on Instagram at Arye the Businessman. I'm on LinkedIn as well. It's just my name, Arye Scheinbein. And lastly, they can uh, also you know listen to my podcast uh, Inside the Lion's Den. All right. Well, tell us how you came up with that name, Inside the Lion's Den. It's kind of a, a double meaning. So most of the time, the, the podcast is a mix of both business in general and investing. And what a lot of people find is that when they are in business, whether they're an employee, employer, self-owner, solopreneur, whatever they may be, they're probably something that they don't know. And it's this around the corner, what's hiding around the corner that they don't even know. They don't even know. Right. So like, I, there's something I always don't know. Like I know I don't know quantum physics, but I'm, I'm okay. Cause I don't really think I need to know that. And if I were going to start a business that said, Hey, I'm going to manufacture soap. I know that I'm going to have to learn X, Y, and Z, but I didn't know that I was also going to have to know ABC and DEF. And so all these things that are kind of like this dark unknown place. So Lion's Den isn't really an actual place, but it's like this dark unknown place. And then the second thing is, is my first name, Arye, means lion in Hebrew. So there was a little bit of a, a play on words. Well, great. Well, one last question here before we close out. And that is, what tips do you have for people who simply don't know what to do with their money? So I would tell them the first thing is if you are an employee and you have a 401k, I definitely would find out, talk to your HR department. If you don't know, does the firm have a match? Because if they have a match, understand that if they're giving you 3% on your 6%, meaning if you make $100,000 and you contribute $6,000, your first 6%, and they're going to give you 3%, which means they're going to give you $3,000 on that, you've just made a 50% return, right? Because you put in 6,000 and all of a sudden you now have nine. So that's a 50% return on your money. Take that money without a question, right? Like if you don't have a match, then decide how much you can contribute. Because again, you'll be allowed to contribute probably up to $19,500 into these vehicles. But understand like, hey, how would you feel based on your age if the market drops 20, 30% over the next year? And that's okay if you have time. But if you are later in your career and you're like, well, that would make me really nervous, I would say, hey, look into things like stable coins that I had mentioned and you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about these types of things. But understand your risk tolerance and, and where you are comfortable where certain things are more stable. Like you know, real estate has lots of pros, but it also has certain constraints and start to feel out what 
fits your personality because understanding how you deal with risk and how you deal with volatility, meaning ups and downs in the values, if certain things are going to create agita and sleepless nights for you, probably not the best fit for you. Strictly speaking, at a very high level, at a very you know broad level, the S&P 500 is the broad index of the 500 largest United States companies. And historically, over the last 100 years, has on average put up an 8% return. Pretty passive. No real shocker there. But at the same time, you have ups and downs. And I'd say in the last 10, 20 years, it's probably been closer to a 14% average return. And again, average. Keep in mind, that means average. It doesn't mean you don't have down years. You know, I think 2000 to th- 2008 to 2009, the market was down about 37%. So understanding these things... But those are pretty, quote unquote, safer, less stress-related kind of investments. Well, Aryeh, that's a wrap. So thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.